there, Rev Divers. We're very excited today to introduce you to Kevin Mulcahy. Kevin, welcome to the show. Hello. Kevin is the Senior Director of Provider and Payer Services at the CVO for Mass General Brigham. So he's basically handling all of the billing for the groups that are with Mass Gen Brigham. Is that correct? That's a lot. Yeah. We uh, do the, all the professional billing for approximately 7,000 providers associated with Mass General Brigham. Um, wow. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, we use the Epic system and then a plethora of bolt-on systems, uh, you know, to help support the entire revenue cycle. So fair, fair to say then that you're a little bit busy. Fair to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sounds like it. <laughs> well, we're super excited to have you on the show today. Today, we're going to switch it up a little bit, though. Um, I really, I before we dive in here. Kim, you have a unique problem going on in Maryland, or I should say a unique situation. Kevin has a ton of experience in credentialing. Can you talk about a little bit what's going on in Maryland right now? Oh my gosh, guys, 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 guys. First of all, let me let me just start off by saying that um, every single state is doing the best that they can managing the, the public health emergency with staff, with um, you know, making sure that patients are safe using either telehealth or hybrid, um, you know, care delivery models. Um, and we're also trying to prioritize security and cybersecurity. And unfortunately, the state of Maryland, um, the Maryland Department of Health um, did, um, was impacted by a cybersecurity um, attack recently. And know. the trickle down effect um, has been enormous, um, so much so that emergency legislation back, um, I, I would say uh, about a week or two ago, um, was, was put in place um, for, pro, for the prohibition of expiration of licenses, um, certificates, wow. permits, and registrations for um, healthcare providers. Because what, what ended up happening is, um, Licenses were, licenses were expiring. Um, and Kevin, with you here, obviously that impacts credentialing and provider enrollment. And it really just is a trickle down effect. And when you think about a cybersecurity attack and all of the, the ramifications that they could have on a Department of Health, we also think about how that impacts provider enrollment, how that impacts patient access to care, um, and then obviously you guys in, in the industry, you have um, staffing needs when it comes to getting providers um, you know, onboarded in your organization. So it's really just a trickle down effect. But what we've also seen here in Maryland is that pharmacies are not able to uh, fill prescriptions in a timely manner because, uh, you know, because licenses are, are not being renewed and pharmacies can't verify things. So I wanted to just kind of open it up to, to kind of share what's happening in my state, but to also see, I guess, you know, what's happening in your neck of the woods when it comes to delays in, in provider enrollment and how that's a really, you know, it's a tangled web because there's so, you know, there's so much interconnectivity when it comes to provider enrollment. And wow, I, you know, I'd only heard briefly about the situation in Maryland, but you know, all of the state Medicaid programs um, are impacted, you know, in different degrees. Um, <clears throat> yeah, we're we're experiencing a lot of different delays with regards to 
um, what I call provider enrollment, which the payers call credentialing, because as a healthcare entity, we look at credentialing as true medical staff privileging, and everything we right. do then to the payer is, is enrolling while they call it credentialing. Um, yeah, the delays um, in, for our non-delegated payers right now are somewhere in the neighborhood of about a 90 to 120 days for plans that have their act together. Some of the other smaller plans has taken 150 to 180 days um, consistently. For our delegated payers, um, we're just seeing the delay of them turning around our rosters and our files from the perspective of they know we've done the delegation. It's just a matter of they don't have the staff to put um, them into the system, but we work through that. But you know, staffing is definitely an issue. You know, as healthcare entities, most of us put in some form of vaccine mandate. And unfortunately, we lost staff, as did the, the healthcare insurers here up in our neck of the woods. Um, and so there are staffing issues which are slowly getting filled, but we're all vying for the same people. So, um, you know, you see people moving around. Um, with regards to the delays, you know, since the start of the pandemic, um, it's just been a downstream effect. The licensing boards couldn't turn stuff around fast enough, so they got backlogged. Um, providers applying for their DEAs or, you know, couldn't get them turned around fast enough, so therefore then we can't roster people, we can't put them in because we don't have the documentation or they can't get their privileging. Um, but the licensing issue, when, when I get an email saying, Dr. So-and-so can't prescribe, the first thing we think of is the license. You know, did it expire? And because during the, the PHE, most of the um, Medicaid plans and Medicare turned off revalidation, we weren't getting the expirables and sending them uh, especially to our out-of-state Medicaid plans, because we're, you know, we are a national uh, referral center for, you know, our two large academics. Um, but then our geographic area, we get a lot of them, and you know, we just couldn't get the information to them, nor did they request it from us. So I have a staff member who every day just goes in and looks for, you know, expirables and just sends them out to the organizations, but there's nobody there to load them up, and so the backlog is absolutely real. We haven't had any cyber attacks or anything like that, um, but getting the documentation from the licensing boards or the agencies that can do that has been a real struggle and ultimately impacting care. The state you know, has done a couple things with regards to um, prior auth lifts you know, and that you know, the payers can't require us to get a prior auth because we're required to see the patients. From an enrollment perspective, the state has, the state of Massachusetts has just said, we're encouraging the payers to enroll their providers timely and not, you know, do expedited reviews and whatnot. Slowly, we're seeing, you know, some of that backlog come down, but I think that's more that the payers have been able to hit some of their staffing issues as opposed to any implications from the state. When the PHE first started and everybody put in those emergency uh, enrollment processes where we would just submit a roster and they'd load them up. That was great, but that only lasted for a certain period of time. Um, but, you know, staffing issues, um, licensing issues from the perspective of, you know, everything a provider needs in order to practice medicine. Biggest issues. So, so much going on, right? Because this is also only one component 
of legislation turnout and, and all of that that is impacting the revenue cycle, right? There's a ton of other things on. But when we talk about this and you think about all those other things that are you know, surprises act and we've got you know that looming at some point the PHE is going to end. Um, it makes you really wonder when you have staff and you lose them, whether it's due to vaccine mandate or burnout or whatever, there's gotta be a huge component of just knowledge that is lost at that same time. Because when you bring on a new employee, they're not ready to go right from jump. And even if they've been involved in the credentialing process, I mean, you're speaking to very complex scenarios, right? You're talking right. about the revalidation process and, and looking at things that you know the three of us clearly understand because we've been in this for a while. But if you're newer to this industry, um, you, you, know, you don't know that. You don't know to look for these gaps. And so kind of what are those long-term effects, you know, to Kem's point, things trickle down. What are the long-term term effects that you see from that knowledge loss when we have staff attrition? So we're trying to change up our models every so often. So historically, we've always done provider enrollment one way. You assign, a, you assign your coordinator to a payer. And then we have other groups that assign it by department. So they either learn the Department of Medicine and then they learn all payers or they learn their payer Blue Cross and their knowledge. Trying to mix it up and put teams together so that there's more than one person working that so that if somebody does leave, yeah. we do have that cross-trained knowledge. Um, the virtual world has made it um, both easier to do that as well as more difficult where in the, when medical billing, you know, sure people come in, but there are a lot of old school people and they've done it that way for a long time. Being in person used to sit there and, you know, look at it and visualize it, work with paper. You lose that, you lose that connection. But now virtual, we've given them the tools that they can share things. Now, not everybody's as technically savvy. So to sit there and pull up a document and say, okay, circle this. I mean, I can't do it, but you know, uh, staff will sit there and say, okay, Kev, go here, do this, do that, do that. You know, that's foreign to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And so to train, and so it's figuring out that training. So we're doing a lot of training and a lot of um, communication this way so that people feel more comfortable because we're not going back into the office. We're going to remain remote. And so we're trying to get people to get energized about their jobs and teaching them new ways to do it. And that's, I think, the only way we're gonna be successful. I, and I, yeah, I, I thousand percent agree with, you know, trying to innovate the, the, the workflows of, of your staff. Um, that when I think about um, provider enrollment for each of the different payers, there's a, mm -hmm. there's a different process for every payer. And there's nuances that, you only know if you've gone through this process, you right. know, a number of times. So, right. you know what I mean? So being able to pass down that level of knowledge to, to your successors is so critical because it, when it saves you time, um, you know, it, it also avoids any mistakes in your applications. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the things that, um, we have started to leverage, and I'm really kicking myself that we didn't do it prior to the pandemic, but leveraging things like PCOS. So yeah. the 
Brigham, the Brigham Women's Physician Organization made up of thousands of providers, has been using PCOS for a while now. The Mass General Physicians Organization, we were up in paper, and the only reason we were on paper was because the person that did our Medicare applications didn't want to go to PCOS. And she said, I'm retiring. The minute she retired, we moved to PCOS. Now, had I done it three years ago, I wouldn't have some of the multi-authentication issues that I have today with Medicare, all these different things that have now made it extremely complicated. And then there's CAQH on the commercial side of the world. And to think that a provider can attest every 120 days, yeah, no, not happening. So we've got to figure out you know, how to do that because we'll submit the applications to our payers and put in the CAQH information and then they'll kick it back because it expired because there's so many delays. I'm like, no, 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 no. It was valid when it went in. You need to say, you know, we're going to enroll them. Just give us a new Crico fit. You know, give us a new face sheet. Yeah. Give us this, that kind of stuff. Don't kick it back and now start the process over again. That's one of the big issues that's going on right now. So, and I think um, that some of these challenges are what, um, and you know, I'm I'm assuming this just from my own personal opinion, obviously, but I think these are some of the challenges that really aren't recognized when new legislation comes into effect. So when we see things like surprise billing goes into to effect, right, and we all know we've got all these price transparency and patient protections, we've got GFEs we need to provide, and we start looking at these things and people are going, this really shouldn't be hard. You're in an electronic system. Can't you just push this? out. I don't think that there's any grace being given for all of the other things that are going on day to day and all the other things that we have to tackle. And I think just trying to even educate our staff on all that and keep everybody to what we feel is like a par level of knowledge is challenging. And um, I know Kem and I were talking about this earlier and, and mentioned it to you. The number of people who believe billing and coding is the same thing. It is astronomically high right now. So like, how do we tackle that, you know, keeping everybody's knowledge level up and educating everybody and not losing big amounts of knowledge when people leave? It's such a struggle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have, we have struggled in the provider enrollment, you know, field, but I think we've mastered it. We just put it, you know, we are a multi-facility uh, system and we've standardized the credentialing process from the medical staff process, but now we can pull that information into our provider enrollment process. So we've kind of automated the process, but there's still so much paper involved that it's not you know, as quick and easy as everyone thinks. Well, you're doing one of Kem's favorite things, though. You are optimizing the use of technology. And that is one of Kem's. I mean, she should have it on a sweater or a jacket or something. It's one of her favorite topics. Am I wrong, Kem? Not at all. I mean, you know, when, when as, as we're talking, it makes me think about um, payer contract management and being able to optimize technology to manage payer contracts. And yes. I, I First of all, let me say, Kevin, thank you so much for your time today. I think that you have really shed some light on very important um, aspects of, of credentialing and provider enrollment and making sure patients have access to care. Um, I, I hope you would be willing to accept an invitation to come back to talk about uh, payer contract management. And there, oh my gosh, when, when I think- Great idea. Yeah, there's so there's so many directions that we can go in a conversation about um, payer contract um, management. Um, 
I, I'm also wondering if maybe we can add uh, one of our, our, our favorite people, Doral Jacobson. Our Doral? Yeah, we could have like, a, let's set up a little panel of people. Maybe we can get some questions in from Rev Divers. That would be contract management um, and, and negotiating is huge, huge yeah. topic right now from, for a lot of folks. And they don't understand the operational impact that no, some of these contracts not. have. Ooh. No, they do not. And your policy. And that's where when we're looking at payments, we kind of identify some of these trends. And I would love to talk about, and I would love to talk about you know, the impact of the pandemic and the fact that we have a tool. Now we're big enough that we can afford a tool, okay? Right. But the fact that we had a tool, we could react to the whole telehealth change everything and see if we were getting paid properly or not very quickly. And we recovered, you know, a couple million dollars right away. But the other thing, you know, just that it does is identifies those trends. Ooh, somebody implemented a new payment policy. How did we miss that? Oh, nice. Why is this happening now? So, but then for the smaller practices, you know, it all comes down to whether your primary care, you know, if you're a primary care practice, you're billing a certain set of codes and you can look at those and you can get your fees from your EOBs and you can look at that through a simple Excel, you know, that kind of stuff. But as you get into your specialties or your procedure dominated, you got to start to apply all those multiple surgical productions, you know, yeah. um, post-op periods, everything. And you start to look at a much bigger thing. It's a little bit more complicated. And that's why it's a system isn't for everybody, but looking at some data every so often is for everybody. And um, I think we absolutely should include that in the conversation, Kim. I think we should talk about contract management, data management, right? And, um, and how those two are combined. And where's the balance? Where's the balance between that operational management and the use of data? How do we achieve evidence-based management without analysis paralysis, right? Yes, yeah. exactly. Whenever I can toss in a good rhyme, I like it. <laughs> yeah. I like it. You know, Kim is the is the techie and, you know, that I am computer illiterate, you know? I just say, <laughs> like, here's what I want, here's what I need. Why can't the system do this? They're like, well, Kim, you didn't buy that. I'm like, you know, so <laughs> we just manage with what we have. And I have a great team that helps me. And, you know, we're all about, you know, just making sure our providers are getting what they're supposed to get. Yeah. And uh, our patients are getting treated. Point. Yeah. And that's the number thing we have to remember is, you know, patients come first. And Amen. if something Amen. like provider enrollment is broken in the revenue cycle, everything else is broken. Yes. Very, very true. You're 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 preaching to the choir here. But I love Kevin, it. Well, yes. I'd love to come back. Awesome. Well, Kevin, That's good. We're gonna rope you in. We right. are. <laughs> Reel you in. All right. Well, Kevin, thank you so much again for your time today. Um, Rev Divers, we're so glad that you were able to uh, you kind of hear from our dear friend. Kevin, and we're really looking forward to seeing you again. And until we meet again, Rev Divers, keep diving into those Rev Cycles.